tuning in to the online broadcast network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries and your number one source for after-show entertainment. TV, the destination for TV superfans, producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows, interviewing celebrities and showrunners, and bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! Yeah, oh yeah, what condition, my condition was in. Yeah. Hello again, fellow Fargo oh, Files. Welcome to the ABTV Fargo Season 2 After Show. If you haven't done so already, follow, like, do all the things for the network. It's on social media everywhere at AfterBuzz TV. I am Lex Michael. I'm, I'm all over the Twitter talky Insta thingies at the Lex Michael, and I'm here with. I'm Dave Child. I'm at, at Mr. Dave Child on Twitter, Instagram, and just DaveChild.com in the internet in general. So. Dave, this is a very auspicious occasion for us. We are, in fact, finally caught up with the show. Uh, We we, finally get to just talk about one episode and and not try to cram in two episodes that, like, so many things happen in. We were so So. excited that we both wore burgundy. Yeah, because burgundy is the the best. (laughs) We called up each other and was like, this show is an actual show. Let's wear the burgundy. Bring in the burgundy. So yeah, I believe uh, it was. Uh, it's an old broadcasting adage that every good show deserves a splash of burgundy. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. So tonight's episode that we are going to be discussing is episode seven. It's called "Did You Do This?" No, you did it. <laughs> no, we talked. We Which talked is... a little bit about this title before we got on mic. Yeah, because uh, this is the question I had. Because I actually had trouble every title of the show so far has something to do with a philosophy book or some sort of existential play or novel, something that was like Rhinoceros, it had a Waiting for Godot reference, all this stuff. This was the one that I could not find or figure out why why this like weird little bit of dialogue is the name of the episode. I don't even recall them saying it in the episode. They, as far as I know, they didn't. So I had no clue what this title referred to either. And I, I think we both did a little bit of digging. We yeah. dug in different places. I was I able to find. find I dug in, in not on the X spot. So I was able to find one one source for this title, and it's okay. it's interesting to me. And it, I don't know how apocryphal this story is, and and maybe somebody uh, out there on the internet can can verify whether or not this is true. But right. there is a painting by Picasso called Guernica. And it's one of history's most famous anti-war paintings. It's black and white. It's a depiction of people and animals suffering in the wake of a bombing. And it has moved people since it was first painted in 1937. Now, allegedly, while living in Nazi-occupied Paris, a German soldier saw this painting in Picasso's studio. And he asked Picasso, did you do this? And Picasso responded, no, you did it. You did it. Oh, interesting. So it's about the aftermath of war. And who is to blame for what happened, which is very appropriate considering what happened in this most recent episode. Right, right. 
So okay, that, that's great. Thank you for finding that. That is, yeah, that's what I found. That's the only thing I found. So again, okay. I would love to hear if somebody listening knows whether or not this story is true. Wow, I would love to have this verified one way or the other. They don't make it easy on Fargo to be like that's a pretty that's a dig deep. That's a, that is yeah. a that is that is a deep dig. But I think that was the intention. I think that that's what the reference is because yeah. of how thematically appropriate it. Yeah, is. I'm pretty sure you're right there. It sounds like a story that should exist and it's a story that matches what happened in the episode so i guess let's get into the episode right yeah so there is tying into that theme there is quite a bit of fallout here and quite a bit of trying to figure out where to place the blame and who should have to uh get their comeuppance for it starting off with the most amazing i think this is the most amazing like mob hit like montage that I've seen since like Godfather. Sure, it was so perfect. It was like a, uh, it, it was it, it, the juxtaposition between every single shot moving to the next one. You have the the toilet to the swirling coffee, yes. to like uh, the digging and then the digging of into the sugar, and then you see Mike just like mulling over coffee while all these deaths are going on. Yeah, it's it was so great. It was like the the best part of this show is. Their use of juxtaposition, their use of split screen, their use of, like, editing. It's really just a beautiful show. And it's such a quick, simple, but perfect way to let the viewer know this war between the Gerhards and Kansas City is ongoing and it has, in fact, escalated and bodies are dropping left and yeah. right. Uh, not not the least significant of which we find out at the opening of this episode that uh, poor uh, Otto Gerhardt did yeah. not survive the siege on the farm and to, it to also go, it also revealed that the siege on the farm only really hit Otto that yes. it was only like total overkill for someone who's incapacitated that they had about 5 people attacking the farm and no one really this was back in the last episode the uh Gerhardt compound was left Unattended by all the men folk. Yes. They all went out to, uh, on their different adventures and kept the women folk and Otto back at the, uh, farm. Right. And they attacked it and we kind of thought like, uh oh, this might be, this might be Floyd's undoing. This could be Simone's undoing. But it wasn't. They were still around at that point. It was it only only hit poor, poor, poor Otto, Otto, who was already, already maybe the shortest end of the stick currently in the Gerhardt family. Right. Who was trapped in his body in the chair, forced to watch as all of these things happened around him, unable to affect change on any level. Ugh. Rest in peace, Otto Gerhardt. And we won't be seeing, right. presumably, unless he comes back as a ghost or an extraterrestrial. No more of Michael Hogan's wonderful, wonderful stroke acting. Yeah, yeah, he was a great stroke actor. <laughs> he was. He's the best if you have to if you have a character who has to be grumpy and lose an eye or the ability to move he's the guy yeah he's the guy you get oh yeah i had a question about like this is something i didn't actually look up and i really should have but when he got buried into the ground because it goes right to the funeral of Otto and Rye. Yes, they're holding a joint funeral for both Otto and Rye. And of course, in Rye's case, there's no body, but you have the belt buckle. What if inside they just have like a pound of ground meat? (laughs) Just, it's just like a package of meat or just like, or sausages. They just have like a links links of sausages. Nicely. Yeah, and they put the belt buckle around it. It's like a belt of sausage links. That would be perfect. That'd be, (laughs) it's basically, okay. Uh, but when they put in Otto, they, uh, you saw Floyd put down what I'm guessing is her wedding dress. I, I wasn't sure. It looked 
at first I was going, is this some some sort of nightgown that right. I would wear? But it looked it looked now I not casting aspersions one way or the other. Who knows? It looks a little bit feminine, maybe, for to be Otto's dressing gown. Maybe Otto, there's a side to Otto where he likes to wear his gown. And he had it as well, like, if I go, I better go with that gown. <laughs> but if if it is the wedding dress, it did. It was a white gown. Yeah. Um, and that would be a very, uh, very poignant touch for Floyd to lay that over the coffin of her deceased husband. Yeah, I think it's kind of, I think it's putting... The marriage into the ground as much as as Otto was, and, and it actually makes me wonder if it's uh, tied to some sort of German like ceremony. If that's something that that often grieving widows do when like uh, a, the German husband goes into the ground. But I didn't really research that, so I don't that really I'm not know. sure of. Uh, I, I'm uh, sure we have a, a phenomenally large listener base in yeah, yeah, Germany. Yeah. So oh, yeah. if any of our German listeners oh, want to Germans chime in on that there. one, yeah. please let us know if you have any specific wedding gown funeral rituals. Right. Yeah, we do see at this funeral, and I believe I made a comment last week that now at this point, even with Kansas City waging war with them, to me it seemed like the biggest threat to the Gerhards were the rest of the Gerhards. Yeah, it's true. And you start to see even even between Floyd and Simone, the tension that boils over a little bit. And I loved yeah. I loved uh, Simone dropping the Jaws reference when talking about Don. Right. Talking about he's just he's just a man. He's not what did she say? He's not the shark in he's that movie. We're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah, we're not going to need a bigger boat. And yeah. it, it comes too after Bear suggesting pretty strongly that he thinks Dodd is dead. They don't know where he is. Yeah, we don't really know where Dodd is either. Uh, remember the last time we saw Dodd was. In the basement of the Blomquist, uh, getting electrified with a prodder. And right. that's it. That's, that's all we've really seen. And of we him, spend, so. we spend the entire episode not knowing how that yeah. resolves. We don't know for the, until the final minutes, and we'll get to it, yeah. where the Blomquists are. We don't know where Dot is. We don't know where Hansi is. It's also important to note that there is a bit of a time jump between the last episode and this episode. I believe two days? This two days, yeah. The just two days have changed. So we had to kind of see, guess kind of what happened in the past. So I had a big guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wonder if this is true. I, I, we can go to predictions. I'll, I'll save it for, for predictions. Okay. But, um, yeah, we also have, like, I also want to talk a little bit about the soundtrack of the show. Yes. Because especially since this show has an amazing soundtrack and has an ama- and has had an amazing soundtrack for the last, like, couple of episodes. And they always bring in, there are so many... I didn't realize until this season, really, that this was a love letter to Cohen Brothers, like entirely. It's, and you would you would think, I mean, it's a it's a show based on their movie, so you would yeah. think that some of those references would be layered in. But it's amazing once you start really looking for them, how many, right. not, and not just to Fargo the movie, but to the entire Cohen oeuvre, yeah. if you will. And especially, it seems uh, this season is referencing mostly uh, Big Lebowski. Fargo, of course, and um, Miller's Crossing. There are, especially, and we'll we'll get to it as we work our yeah. way through the episode. But there is a very significant walk into the woods in this episode, right? Which echoes Miller's Crossing pretty powerfully. Yeah, and this this uh, this uh, this episode has uh, moments where it has a cover of we played at the beginning of the episode. Of of our episode here of what condition your condition is in yeah the Kenny Rogers song the Kenny Rogers song and it's actually it's done by White Denim in this time which I think is like the guy from Black Keys so they have these like up to date covers of these songs that reference these 
Coen Brothers movies. So in this one, it was what condition what my condition is in, whatever the name of the actual song is. In the last episode, there was a song by Jeff Tweedy of Wilco that they he was actually singing um, the same song that Steve Buscemi goes to see, listens to with his uh, prostitute date from the Fargo movie. From in the last episode, I meant to say the last one, so I wanted to put it in here. But because they, the soundtrack is just incredible, and, and in between also orchestra section uh, sections that mirror the actual Fargo movie. So yeah, and to to that point, there was a, a a music note that I wanted to make in the last episode that I completely forgot about as well. Yeah, I believe it was the very last episode, episode six, mm-hmm. might have been episode five. It was one of the two we covered last week. The song playing over the end credits was a cover of "Man of Constant Sorrow," which of course right. was used significantly in "Oh Brother Where Art Thou." Yeah, and there was another "Oh Brother Where Art Thou" nod in this episode. Yes, when they sing "Oh Death," yes, and that happens on the appearance of. Um, the Undertaker. Oh, the Undertaker. Oh, we'll get to the Undertaker. Yeah. Well, what? Where should we get to him now? I mean, what? What other? Uh, what's the in between? Yeah, one? the in between stuff. Uh, pretty, actually, pretty quickly, we'll get to it. The only thing that happens of significance in the interim, and this is something that will carry throughout the episode, right. is Lou and Ben Schmidt arrive at the farm and they pick up Floyd and they bring her into the station and they want her to turn informant on right. Kansas City. And at first, she resists. And then doesn't. Resists. Right. I think. I think there's a sense that Floyd has... By the way, if you want to dress up next Halloween as Floyd Gerhardt or any really someone from the Fargo show, I suggest going as Floyd during the this uh, scene where she has the great fur hat, the great funeral outfit, and also a pipe. And of course Floyd smokes a pipe. And it makes it feel like she's in control kind of the entire time. Yes. That she's playing them kind of the, and amazing acting right at the end when she's, uh, when she gives up the identification of the Kansas City Mafia that they use a trucking company, by the way, called Legit Trucking Company. Right. Which is beautiful. <laughs> beautiful in its simplicity. Um, and where they had the drugs and giving all the information that really take Kansas City down more than Gerhardt's. So it really is a win for the Gerhardt's. Yeah, well, she says that she wants uh, her family to be safe right. going forward from prosecution. And, of course, they have to have the exchange. It's like, well, you know, murder is something that we yeah, can't she's like, then what's the from- point? You're right. If I can't murder someone, why not? And, I was like, and then they said, oh, from this point on. So don't worry about those past murders. Those are fine. It's just the murders in the future we're going to have to deal with. But I will say I agree with you completely about the aesthetic and the performance yeah. by Gene Smart as Floyd. I there are so good. I would say few few characters on television and I certainly off the top of my head can't think of any that are more badass than Gene yeah. Smart as Floyd Gerhardt. She can do so much with so little. Like you say all she has to do is sit there with the fur hat, smoking the yeah. pipe, saying nothing. Yeah, it's and great. Even in police custody, you still feel like she has the most power of anybody in that room. Yeah, her use of restraint is it's important in acting to restrain yourself. It's not so much about what you exude and what you show out. It's like if you have to cry, you have to work on not crying. And that's how you get the best cry. If you have to like 
look like you know what you're doing, you have to hold back and feel like you're not knowing what you're doing. You know, it's all about like holding back what and, you're doing. And Floyd, not just not just Jean Smart, the actress, but yeah. Floyd has to do a lot of that as well. Yeah. She is in so much deep, deep pain at this point. The loss of her son, the possible loss of another son, the loss of her first son in right. combat, the loss of her husband, and now she's got these this the, the scene where she slaps Simone and she refers to both Simone and Dodd as porcupines says yeah. always looking for a fight she doesn't want to be that person she feels you can tell immediately after she slaps Simone yes she meant it but she regrets it instantly but she can't show how deep the hurt runs because she right. has to be the powerful matriarch there's also a moment in that scene where she says Simone is just an aspect of her father it's just an aspect of Dodd and I read a I read a really good interview in the Hollywood Reporter with the actress who played Simone, and she talked about how the her and the uh, director always talked about where people coming from abuse, where they come from, where where what they think of the abuse and and how it affects them. And there's a sense in people that are being abused that it is a form of attention that is given to them by their older, by their, um, by their parents. So they'd rather have the attention than not the attention. So they kind of seek the abuse in itself. Sure. So she's someone who's, um, who is a lot like her father because you get the sense that the father might have been abused as well by Otto and that they're always seeking to be abused. They're always having these like, brash this these like huge decisions that they just make and they'll they'll deal with the consequences but they stick to them sure so and as we see with her when she goes to mike to try and by the way as soon as uh floyd says i don't want to snitch we have a great cut to write to her running to mike and running to kansas city yep to see what she can do to kind of get out of the Gerhardt situation. Yeah, no, and before she gets to Mike, we the, we see Mike in this episode communicating with higher-ups in Kansas, presumably the people that Joe Bulo answered to. Yeah, which turns out to be a bald Adam Arkin. I believe the character name is Hamish uh, Hamish Broker? Yeah, of course. Hamish. Hamish. Why Good not? old Hamish. Yeah, yeah. yeah old Hamie. So uh, uh, Mike Milligan asks for two weeks to mm-hmm. to deal with the Gerhards permanently. And Hamish isn't having it. He says, you've got two days. If you don't resolve this in two days, essentially, you're going to face the wrath of The Undertaker. Yeah. So now the clock is ticking for Mike Milligan. And Mike Milligan, I will say, without without jumping immediately to where we leave him in this episode, by the end of this episode, he seems more than he's ever been uh, uh, essentially a man without a country. Yeah. He now doesn't have uh, a port of call necessarily. He's he's it, like many of the characters on this show. He's now in a situation where he has to grab whatever opportunity comes by to protect himself, much right. in the way that everybody else does. He's also someone that has to. He's worked his way up the ranks of a very white mafia. Yeah, and you get the sense that there is, uh, you know, racism he's had to deal with. Well, I believe to get up there. Hamish makes a comment that yeah. he had he had essentially had reservations about hiring a black man to do this job. Yeah, basically, yeah. Those are nice words. Yeah. Nicer words than he said. And so he has a lot to prove, and I think he's trying to become, like, the strongest. He's trying to, like, gain a foothold. He's trying to become captain of some area. Whether it's maybe he wants to take over the Gerhardt's situation. Like, if he succeeds in this, it's likely he'll run the side of the Gerhardt's operation that they're trying to take control of. Sure. That's trying to be Kansas City. So he's searching for that, too. Um, so, but we, we kind of cut off the Floyd discussion, I just realized, because we see, we see the smile at the end, 
when Floyd says, like, all the information has snitched her way through, she has this great smile, and that's what we're talking about with the acting, that shows that she knows what she's doing. She knows that she's gaining control, and she just recruited the whole police department on her side. They they make a comment about how this is the police department effectively picking a side in this gang war. Yeah, yeah. And Lou's the only one that really recognizes this. And he also calls out... uh, Calls out uh, the uh, the the fellow guy. What's ben, his name? Ben Schmidt. Yeah, for ben being Schmidt. a lousy cop. Oh yeah, you're not a very good cop, are you? Yeah, <laughs> it's great. Um, but it's it's fantastic that the the nonverbal the smile that Floyd gives right. because this is. Of course, snitching goes against every – in as much as criminals have a code, uh, as we've seen in fiction over and over and over, snitching right. goes against – if there is one, goes against every basic tenet of a quote-unquote criminal code that there is. Yeah. So, of course, this is against every instinct that she has, but I think she realizes in that moment – this is the best and maybe only way to both strike at the heart of Kansas City and protect her family, which is the only thing she wants. Yeah. And this this is it for her. This If this works and there aren't severe, as I suspect there may very well be in the future, severe repercussions, mm-hmm. this is exactly what she's been fighting for. Right. Well, you see the severe repercussions pretty much immediately. You see some of them. Yeah. Okay. I think it's going to get worse. We got, yeah, we got three get, episodes left. There's yeah. so much time for it to get so much worse for everybody. Yeah, and there's still some Gerhardt standing. Oh, yeah. So, or sitting or lying in trunks. Um, Walking around, shooting each other. Yeah, you yeah. know. You know how they do. Yeah, like the Gerhards do. That's how the Gerhards do. So should we move to Simone? What happens with Simone? Yes, and the only other thing I want to hit, which will fold back into Simone's story, right. is a couple of times... Uh, before we see where Simone goes, a couple of times at the Gerhardt farm complex, bunker, whatever you want to call it, mm. we see, we see, yeah, combat, we see Bear's guy who, remi- I don't know the, the name of the character off the top of my head, right. who looked to me every time I saw him, like, is that the guy from that 70s show? Looks I kept thinking like- he looks like Paul Rudd in, um, in Anchorman or something. Yes. He had that, like, just sleek, hey. <laughs> But keeps but keeps coming to bear keeps well I think it happens twice coming mm. to bear and say hey somebody's on the phone and they say they know where Dot is right and this I believe it, there's a similar phone call at the end of the episode I believe it's the same yeah caller. I mean we're not we shouldn't hold back because we all you, know what it well, is why am, why am I predicting why am I predicting spoilers yeah. for people who have clearly already watched yeah if make sure you watch the episode but there's always a question about where the Blomquists are throughout this entire show and. Um, we keep we these calls could be coming from Ed because at the end of the episode we see him call Mike, and so we get the sense that Ed's trying to figure out how to how to play the sides himself in order to get out of this war alive, right? Because they're still caught in the middle of it. And maybe his thought is, well, if we return Dodd to the Gerhards, they'll let us go, right? I don't think. But when they don't return the phone call, right? But I also don't think there's any universe in which they return Dodd and the Gerhards don't kill them, right? There's also the question of how did he get Mike's number? There is that. There's that. Which I, I have a theory. Okay. Do you want to save it for predictions, or is it something that is is so well, uh, ephemeral that you can plop it in anywhere? No, in it's probably predictions, but like, I'll I'll wait. But it's with the Blomquist specifically, and what's happening with them, and where they've been for the last last day. Okay, but I I'll save it. for I predictions. think I might know where you're going, but yeah, okay. we'll save it. So, uh, uh, Bear's reaction to the news about these calls, and I wanted to ask you. It seemed to me like. Bear wants Dodd to be dead. 
Yeah. Like, he very much does not want Dodd to come back. Right. Well, I think he's been wanting Dodd dead for kind of a while now. But he is his brother, so. But you start to see, finally, and and Bear, and we'll get to more of this very, very shortly, Bear, who up until now seems to be, uh, with the exception of Floyd, the most human of that bunch, does quite possibly the coldest thing that we've seen this season. Yeah, and I think that's important because uh, we have this great scene where after he sees, after he catches uh, Simone coming out of Mike's hotel. And Simone also very narrowly escapes being killed by right. Mike Milligan and the remaining kitchen brother, only rescued in the nick of time by the, by the cops, by the fortuitous arrival of Lou and Ben Schmidt. Yeah, and then when Ben Schmidt tries to Almost gets seduces by Simone. She kneels him in the balls, which is great because no one likes Benjamin. And then walks, uh, and then walks out of the hotel and runs into her uncle. Bear. Yeah, Bear. And so, uh, Bear takes her for a ride. And we have this great scene that makes me really happy that we live in an age of drones that like, <laughs> that we're able to get the shot of this car driving through sure. that landscape. It looks so beautiful, and it's something that... This is a TV show. It's not a movie. They would have to rent, like, a helicopter for that shot, and it's great that they have, like, drones for that. Anyways, side side point. And they reenact basically a scene from Miller's Crossing. Essentially. Yeah, where they walk into the woods, and they have this great moment, another great piece of acting, where they talk about uh, where she's basically, you know, we get the sense... That she might have not have left that forest. There's a chance that she did, though. Well, we don't see we don't see Bear pull the trigger yeah. on his niece. But the situation that they're in, he has her get down on her knees. Yeah, he puts a uh, points a gun at her head, and it's essentially retribution for everything that has happened to their family. He's essentially putting it on her. And this ties back to the title of the episode. Did you do this? No. You did it. Yeah. I'm putting the blame here. I'm blaming you for the actions of your father. I'm blaming you for the fact that my son was sent to kill Ed and is now in jail. Exactly. Yeah. And she was playing both sides of the situation. She did escalate the war. Yep. In a lot of ways. And also like basically is responsible for killing the grand her grandfather. By giving uh, all, away the information. Almost directly. Yeah. And, uh, but the important thing is that, the thing is though, it's, it's, it's reflecting Miller's Crossing, but Miller's Crossing ends with, uh, with John Turturro in the same situation, but he, he just escapes. Right. He doesn't get killed. So is it because it's reflecting that, or I think it's left to be a bit ambiguous? When you see Bear's reaction when he comes out of the woods, he smashes his cast on yeah. the on the front of the car. You see him driving home, and you see this split screen uh, as he's presumably thinking about all of the members of his family and everything that's passed. happened. They're playing Danny Boy. But, but Danny Boy's also from Miller's Crossing. Yes. So it's, you know, it's all like... Simone could come back. I don't think she will, though. I think she's gone. I, there's a chance that she'll come back, but I feel like we've reached the end of Simone's story, and I'll be surprised if she comes back. If if Bear didn't kill her, hopefully she is smart enough to get as far away from this entire ordeal right. as possible and never come back. Yeah. But it's a it's still a question because we don't see it now, I think, as, as television viewers, we're trained to think, you know, if there's no body... They may at some point return. 
Also, keep in mind that uh, season three has just been renewed. Yes, we're going to get to that. We're going to talk okay. a little bit about that. We, actually, just we saying, actually have news this week. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying, Simone living, that could be a season three thing. Sure, and it does, it is a little bit up in the air, that moment when Bear is is smashing his cast on the front of the truck. Is yeah. he reacting to what he's just done, or is he reacting to what he almost did? True. And we don't quite Or even know. just, either way, he lost a member of his family. Even if his family, even if she's banished and, like, sent away, he's still lost her. Sure. He's still losing members of his family, like, every single day. So he's still something to grieve and be furious about. So Sure. Uh, we do, back in the hotel room, we have another fantastic conversation between Lou and Mike, where yeah. Mike, once again, as he does so wonderfully, uses quotes and riddles to tell his version of the truth. He's been pretty consistent in that Mike Milligan, whatever else he may be, as cryptically as he speaks, he's not a liar, certainly. He always tells the truth as he perceives the truth. And I thought it was interesting, too, he uh, the the quote that he pulls in the the conversation, uh, I believe, earlier, with uh, Simone is from Camus again. It's from, uh, I believe, The Rebel, an essay on Man and Revolt where he says freedom, that terrible word inscribed on the chariot of the storm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's very fascinating to me that Camus keeps coming back over and over and over as a a touch point in this... (laughs) In this season. Yeah. Um, they had the conversation where the, the wheelbarrow story about... Yeah, yeah. And uh, about... It, it makes you wonder who's... You know, he's talking about that the most obvious answer is the one right in front of you. And it's it's great that he has... He goes to this story and not just like the uh, Gorgon's Knot story, which is kind of the go-to, like, just slice it in half and sure. then you, you've solved it. But he's... It's, it's who stole the wheelbarrow... And it's just the it's just like the simplest answer is just Kansas City wanting to take over. Like I'm I'm curious about that because it makes me feel like maybe he wants in on this too, and it just he just has to. He talks about how Kansas City is the future, yes, and it has to come because it is the future. And the Gerhards are the past, and the past yeah. can't be the future, and the future can't be the past. And there's there's a great it's a great point because Kansas City just can't leave. I mean, even if Mike leaves. They're going to bring someone else. Yep. They have enough resources that they'll just keep coming. This war is not over until most of the, until the Gerhards either give up or they're dead. Yep. So I feel, I don't think it's going to turn out well for the Gerhards. Uh, one way or another, as I believe I've predicted in the past, yeah. I don't think there is a Gerhardt crime syndicate operating there by the end of this by season. The end. I don't think so either. Um, and this, this tense conversation ends again with Lou urging very very firmly mm-hmm. uh Mike and the the remaining kitchen brother to leave town he says you don't have to go home but you can't stay here essentially yeah. and then tells him and I love again I love the gradual evolution of Lou Salverson as played by Patrick Wilson from a cop who is a, a fantastic officer but a little bit over his head into this this steely resolved guy that yeah. we, we see in season one. Um, but he essentially says to Mike Milligan, you know, don't be offended next time if I don't say hello before firing my gun. Yeah, it's also a great scene. It's surreal because they're talking about law like it doesn't usually exist. It doesn't – it's nothing – it's a Wild West law that has happened here. It's no – because they could have arrested him because of the shotgun probably. There's like an obvious shotgun – Right behind Mike during this entire conversation that's like that's showing a threat, but it's also like just he has a shotgun. Yeah, he's, he's probably not supposed to have a shotgun in a hotel room. 
Like you could probably get them on that alone, but not really because it won't solve anything. It'll right. just be like putting a Band-Aid on a on a on a severed head. You got yeah. You got to just let that. It's already gone, and you just got to figure out how to hide the body in my severed head. Yeah. Method. <laughs> Carry the metaphor further. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Lou is smart enough. I mean, and he's been in a standoff with Mike Milligan before. Yeah, yeah. I think he's smart enough to know don't put him in a position to use the shotgun unless you're ready to defend your life and possibly have it ended. Right. And I don't think he wants that, especially now, you know, he's got uh, his wife is sick. He's got and we can we can jump to to what's going on at the Solverson house where yeah. he has sent Carl Weathers the and king Sonny, of breakfast. the king of breakfast to essentially watch over his wife and daughter. I like how Nick Offerman has cornered the market on uh, bacon. And amazing facial hair. Yes. He's just, if you want someone who's really good at cooking up breakfast, talking about bacon, or having amazing facial hair, you gotta get Nick Offerman. He's perfect <laughs> for it. And he's, uh, him and Sonny, they're, uh, watching over the, the family at the time, and you have this amazing scene where, uh, what's her name, Mary? Betsy. Betsy. Betsy's talking about just the, just the future and realizing that her time has kind of come and that she wants her husband to marry anyone and find happiness just except for except so, for that one woman yeah more more less that she wants him to marry somebody and more right. that she wants him to know it's okay yeah 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 it's it's that sense of like decency that Fargo, the Fargo verse is kind of soaked in yes. that sense of like no matter what you have to do the decent thing and the next day, you just got to keep on living. It's that sense. And she tells this story to Carl about how originally the plan was for Lou to marry her sister. Right. Her sister, uh, Lenore. And Lou went off to serve in Vietnam, and Lenore was very impatient and yeah. didn't wait for him to come back and moved on to somebody else. No matter what, there's always a How I Met Your Mother twist with, <laughs> with that actress. Indeed. So, but, but it's like she refers to herself as the dud, he got right. the dud. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's heartbreaking, but it's also it also makes you love her more because she's someone who is so humble. She's the most humble like person in the entire show. Sure, she's one of the smartest. She's able to break through a lot of the case and uh, herself, and you see her dealing with. With her own grief in such a humbling and human way. She has so much dignity. Yeah, and a lot of strength. Yes. She has a ton of strength. It's it's great. She's facing the end, and her concern is not, I'm going to die. It's, I want you to tell my husband that it's going to be okay. Right. I want you ask, She asks Carl, you'll look after them, right? And Nick Offerman's Carl, he's just there... He's able to really do something with that character that makes him – he's goofy, he's silly, but he has these wonderful heartfelt moments where he hugs her and just has this emotional connection that I don't think any other actor could, like, capture. So he's amazing in this show. But she has to now go feed the cats. Yeah, that was the next thing I wanted to get to. So Hank, uh, who last we saw had been hit in the head two days prior right. uh, and was acting slightly out of character, yeah. he has asked uh, – uh, Lou is on the phone with Betsy. Hank is, happens to be nearby, and he says, you know, make sure – tell my daughter to feed my cat. Cat's name is Snowball. Snowball, yeah. She goes to feed Snowball and now, can't find the cat. I have to say there was something about this scene that was the most intense scene – of the entire show. 
And it had the most suspense. I think it had more suspense than when Simone was walking through the forest. Sure. I don't know what it was. There was something. I think it was because the soundtrack dropped away. It was just quiet. She just basically had a, well, if I if this is the last scene you see me in, it'll be a good farewell, like speech and moment. And I felt like she was going to run into someone at that house, at Hank's house, and she was going to get killed. I thought that was going to happen during oh, that scene. Really? Yeah, because she was looking at the way she was looking at the photos and where she was just looking around and it was quiet. Something was going to come. There's some approaching big thing that I thought it was going to be an attack. I thought it was going to be this surreal Fargo moment where she looks down and sees someone holding a gun or chopping up a body. You know, like, it felt like that sort of Fargo moment. But instead, she opens up the study. Something far stranger. Yeah, and I think it was leading to this, and I think it was a good kind of misdirection, made you feel like suspense, and then revealed one of the strangest moments of the show, where Hank's study is filled... With the symbols. He has been doing some very specific research. Yeah. And I noticed, uh, so I went through and there's a freeze frame. I freeze at at a moment where you see a book. And you see a book called Palace of the Gods. So I looked this book up and I don't know if you It doesn't exist. I found books with that title but nothing that existed in that. The only books I could find with a title that approximated that were published in the very early 90s. And that's not the same thing. But there is a book called Chariot of the Gods. There is. Which is about the uh, secret history, ancient alien history. That the aliens have kind of are behind the pyramids, yep. they're behind all this stuff that's building up. So, and also, I think you kind of get the sense just looking at the the symbols that oh, he's into the alien stuff. He's if there's anyone to bring the aliens back in, it turns out it's going to be Hank, and that's kind of a big surprise. When when do you remember? You said you're rewatching X Files currently. Do you remember when yeah. the X Files were opened? Maybe they were opened by Hank. They were, yeah, it was yeah. definitely Hank. They were opened by Hank. I don't know if you, if you, if you did freeze frames on some of the symbols, because some of the symbols that were all over the room had translations under them. Yeah, there was family, there was there's, death. There's family, child, father, love, house. Argument. Sick, angry conversation. Yeah, angry conversation. Fetus. So yeah. I'm wondering, what, what do you think this research is for? My first thought when I saw some of these words was maybe he's trying to figure out a cure for his daughter. Mm. That was the first thought I had. And he's, he's going to uh, ancient extraterrestrial science. I think he's just trying. I got the sense that he's linked to the alien sightings that have been happening. And he's focused on this. Because also remember the previous ep- the previous scene. We heard that he lost his wife like a while ago. Yes. And uh, we get the sense that maybe he hasn't recovered from it. The way he talked about it, it didn't sound like he was all healed up. And then we see this obsession that's been happening because you don't cover the walls unless it's an obsession. And I think he's putting all of his time and grief and mixed feelings about his daughter and his family just into this obsession. And I think it's just to... Make contact with the aliens because sure. I think that's what these um, these symbols represent. He's trying to figure out a way to translate and talk to them. So what what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be if how the aliens are going to come back. It's the one worrying part of the show because it's the one thing that'll be like that'll jump the shark. It's this is like 
is like a shark in the waters that is just ready to be jumped. And it's been at any threaded moment. through the entire season in such yeah. a way that that has to be paid off very carefully. Very, very carefully. With making it so it is paid off, it's addressed, but not in a way that's like, aliens did it, which it won't do. Of course, because then it, that becomes the entire season. Yeah, Even if that's the last three minutes of the finale, that then becomes the entire season. Right. So it's going to be so curious to see how that that comes around. But it's this is a great hint at it. Yeah. Yeah. So what I guess the Blomquist now, huh? There is one we haven't we haven't circled back around to the Undertaker, which the we, just, Undertaker, we right. just have to touch on because there yeah. is some wonderful, wonderful violence on this show. And we get another uh, amazing example of this show subverting expectations. Or rather right. it's it's a, it's either what you expect to happen doesn't happen, or it does but in a way entirely removed from the way you would have expected it to happen. Yeah. Well, we're used to, in the Fargo-verse now, these terrible, malevolent characters just kind of showing up and being terrible and awesome and amazing and kind of forces of evil. So they introduce someone who's called The Undertaker. And we've been hearing about him for 40-some-odd minutes yeah. at this point. So, and he comes and he's he has two sidekicks. Um, he's wearing all black. He's an older guy. He's he won't touch a uh, an elevator button, which is like kind of a badass move. And you hear right before he shows up, they, they oh death, right? Yes, that's I believe when they play. O death. Yeah, which is from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And so you're like, oh death is coming, death is coming. He's gonna be he's gonna be the Malvo, like in the last little half of this uh, show. And then he shows up and immediately gets killed by Mike. It's amazing. Mike, uh, the kitchen, the kitchen brother lets them in. Yeah. Mike comes out of the bedroom. Yeah. And the way, the way he was postured, immediately I'm going, something's, something's about to happen. You could just tell the way he's carrying himself. What happened so immediately? He's he holds just... out his hand. It's like, you know, gentlemen. And then out pops the sleeve gun and he yeah. puts a bullet right in the undertaker's head. And then he and the kitchen brother, just slaughter the other two guys. Get covered in blood. And you realize that he's, uh, that's really the only choice he had. Oh, sure. Because he had to, like, in order to be in control, in order to seem like he didn't fail the whole situation, he really just had to take him out. Well, so. I think at that point it was one of the two of them wasn't walking out of there. Right. Right. And, of course, I'd rather have Mike around than this Undertaker Oh, certainly. Guy. So I think it was a perfect move. And then we finally arrive at the, the final moments of the episode in which immediately right. after this happens, the hotel phone room call. phone rings. And he picks up the phone. And it's Ed Blumquist. Yeah. And uh, says that he has Dodd in his car. And, by the way, before this, there is a mention of uh, that they found the uh, – the Indian friend at the uh, Oh Hanzi, <laughs> Oh Hanzi, Oh Hanzi, Hanzi at the uh, at in Sioux Falls, having killed two two troopers, two troopers in pursuit of what they think is the Blomquist. Yes. Um. So the two troopers are killed, and it's interesting that it was two troopers, by the way, because the actual Sioux Falls murder uh, involves people disguised as troopers, as uh, policemen. So it makes me wonder if Hanzi killed the troopers in order to get the outfits. Anyways. Um, Interesting. We hear that that's happening, and then it cuts to Ed on the phone. And also, right by Ed is a hangman. Yes, I wanted to make note of that. Yeah. It, it, this graffiti inside the phone booth. Right, and it's missing a few letters, but all you see is like S-O-X, 
and then LLS something like that. Could be Sioux Falls. It's Sioux Falls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's basically like the missing ones are Sioux Falls. So it's a nice little hint that he might actually be in Sioux Falls. And that's where the episode ends. Yes. Now, presumably, Dodd Gerhardt is still alive in the trunk of the Blumquist yeah. car or Ed wouldn't be able to use him as a bargaining chip. Right. Right. So are we at predictions? We're not at predictions yet. We actually, for the very first time, we have some news, news yeah, to true. cover. Okay. So we're going to cover some news right now. Oh, there's a thing for news. There is a thing. There's a thing for news. There's a thing for news. We've never gotten to use the news I thing we before. We never got to talk about news. So obviously, the very big Ooh. news this week is that FX has ordered a third season of Fargo, right. which as of this moment, we know absolutely nothing about. It could be anything. We don't know what time period it's in. No. Nope. We don't know if it's... After the 70s, before the 70s, does, is this going to follow Hank when he was a kid? We sure. don't know. All we know is that it's going to be another standalone season. Right. In the, you know, they're continuing the anthology format. We do know, uh, obviously, Noah Hawley's going to return. Executive producers Warren Littlefield, Joel and Ethan Cohen, and John Cameron are coming back. But right. no shooting or air dates have been announced. No cast has been announced. And no story has been revealed. But, but. And, oh, man, did this make me excited. Uh, at the TCA press tour in August. Oh, I didn't hear this part. Holly was, was asked about what a potential third season of Fargo could uh-huh. be. And his response was that they could head into the future. He said, and I quote, we're on the UFO. Yeah, I mean, I like to joke. It's going to be, you know, the space station Fargo in the year 2555. <laughs> now, yes, he was joking. You space Reagan. He was joking, <laughs> but I will desperately cling to this possibility until right. the season airs, and I realize that's not what it is. No, I don't think so. It could go into a little bit of the future in a way. I don't think it's going to be in space station Fargo. I think it's. it could just be like, you know, 2020 for some reason. Sure. Do the Parks and Rec thing. Yeah, and they've, they've said, you know, so far we've followed uh, a Solverson. Or, or this, a Solverson has been our connecting tissue between right. season one and season two of the series. And there has been a, obviously there was a connection to the film in season one. Um, there is, they, they've been asked, obviously, what season three could entail. And maybe a Solverson will be connecting tissue again. But yeah. they also don't feel beholden to having a Solverson in every iteration of Fargo. Yeah, I think there's only one thing we can be sure of. There's going to be snow. Probably. There's going to be blood. And there's going to probably be a trooper with a great accent. Yes. that's And uh, a policeman with a great accent. And that's all we really know. And presumably a lot of violence. Yeah, probably probably some violence. Yeah. And a great soundtrack. So, and a great, yes. Yeah. So that was the biggest news. But the other news uh, that is pertinent that I saw that caught my eye that I'm also very excited about, Noah Hawley uh, is now developing with FX a TV series adaptation of Kurt Vonnegut's Cat's Cradle. Ooh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's going to be amazing. I have no idea what that would be as a series, but see, your reaction tells right. me so you're, you're a Vonnegut guy. I'm a Vonnegut guy, and uh, Cat's Cradle is mostly about um, look trying to stop a doomsday kind of chemical from being released, which is called Ice-9 that basically turns everything into ice and stuff. Sure. So I think it's mostly going to be about the intrigue and the in-between of getting Ice-9 from getting out. And, and if I remember back. correctly, that book also deals heavily with themes of organized religion as well, yes? Yes, yeah. There's an aspect of that. It's been a while since I've read it, but I, I love Vonnegut. So it's like, it's he has the right tone because Vonnegut has that dark humor that's kind of uh, under everything and also that sense of just that dry wit 
that's kind of in a lot of Vonnegut stuff. So yeah. no Holly. That's like I think perfect. that's a perfect, perfect fit. Yeah. Um, and this will be my excuse to go back and revisit Cat's Cradle, which I right. read, but I read years ago. Yeah, it's been a while for me, too. But he's great. So those are the two big news stories. So now, yeah, now it is time for us to move into our predictions as to what we think is going to happen coming up. Ooh, lights. All you podcast listeners can't see these lights, but it's amazing. (laughs) Okay, so this is my prediction. Yeah, what do you got? This is, I think, this is my big one, Mm -hmm. is I think they're holding back some information right now. And I think the Blomquist, I don't know for sure, but this is my guess, are actually working with Lou and Hank. Okay. That's my guess because... Lou and Hank are good policemen, but for the last two episodes, they've been kind of terrible policemen. <laughs> they've, uh, I would say, certainly behind the eight ball. Yeah, they're kind of like, you have Hank, and in this episode, you have this moment where it feels almost like they added it in ADR, where Hank goes like, I should have gone back for that girl. Which is because he acted so out of character, and also when he st- when um the last we saw Ed Blomquist, he was running down the road, and the uh, the Hank and Lou got into their car and chased after him. Sure. So that's implying that they couldn't catch up with him, and they couldn't find him, and that somehow they actually did lose him and and the girl, and they're both out on their own and trying to play the sides themselves. Now, I think there's a chance that it could be Lou, Hank, and the Blomquist trying to play both sides to find a peaceful resolution between all of them. Because they don't want the Blomquist killed, but they also know if they just bring them into jail, it's not going to solve anything. Because they're just going to – it's going to be the same assault on Precinct 13 sure. that happened in the last one. Right. So they're trying to figure out a way to politically move everything to um, to get it – to cure the situation and to find peace. Now, it's – I don't know why they're in Sioux Falls, though, if that's the case – so that might make it fall apart, but that's my guess. Well, was the uh, if I if I'm remembering correctly, wasn't there a connection to the retreat that Peggy was talking about going on? Wasn't that connected to Sioux Falls? Yeah, that was supposed to be in Sioux Falls, I believe. And uh, so that just might be a place for them to get out of town. It might be the first thing they think of. Sure. To actually go to the retreat and use those tickets because they have the tickets, right? And that's I would I think well, she spent the money. She spent the money, so she might as well use it. So there might be them going like, well, we have to get out of town, so we can't get rid of these tickets, so we might as well go together. <laughs> also, we didn't. It's we saw Ed at the very end of the episode. Is the, this is the first episode of the season where we did not see Peggy at all? She was off screen no. the entire time. Peggy and Dodd both we don't see. We now know a little bit about, like you say, like where they might be going. Right. We don't know where they've been. Yeah, but you get the sense that I mean, what could have happened maybe is that uh, Peggy left and left Dodd behind. So by the time um, Ed got there, all he found was Dodd. So then he put Dodd in his trunk. Maybe. Or he had to meet – or she put Dodd in her trunk and met him uh, as he was on the road heading out. It's hard to say, like, what exactly happened in this last episode. And I think between this last episode and this one. So in the next one, I think, is all going to be about that day we missed, that day that skipped ahead. And find filling out in those with, blanks. Yeah, filling in the blanks. So I guess one of my big questions is what – because we know you don't – if you're a criminal, even if you believe yourself to be infallible, unstoppable, right. un, untoppable – 
you, in stories like these, when somebody snitches, they, they tend to they get re- the stitches. They, yes, exactly. <laughs> what what do you think we're going to see happen to Floyd Gerhardt in the remaining three episodes? I think Floyd. I still think Floyd is going to come out of this unscathed physically. Sure, but I think she's going to have no family members left. She's got one, one now. Essentially, we don't. She's got Bear, and that's it, really, right now. And maybe Dodd. So, and I Dodd, and I doubt very strongly Dodd makes it out of this. Oh, Dodd does not make it out of it, and I don't think Bear does either. I think they're all heading towards a tragic end. Except, I think Floyd is going to be alone in the end of this. I think that's because that would hurt more than anything. That would be more tragic than her dying. Sure, I think, and also. Remember that this is leading to the incident that Lou that makes Lou give up being a policeman. That's right. Because we know this from season one, which is the Sioux Falls Massacre, that he's mentioned in season one. And that's the whole point of this season. Which is why I think he is involved with this scheme a little bit. Because if he's involved with the Blomquist kind of hiding and going to Sioux Falls and trying to play both sides... And the Blomquist, I don't think they're getting out of this alive. Right. I think everyone is going to die, essentially, in Sioux Falls, except for Lou and maybe Hank. And I think that's going to hurt Lou more than anything, to see that the Blomquist, that something he was involved with, that he couldn't save the Blomquist, and he couldn't save, he couldn't cause peace, I think that's going to make him quit being a policeman. Well, and we know we know that regardless of how events play out, Lou is about to be faced with I would I would venture to say the two most devastating events in his entire life, the events that presumably will be covered by the end of the season that make him decide to stop being a police officer and also he is we know whether we see it happen in this season or not, he's about to lose his wife as yeah. well. Because she's going to get abducted by aliens. Yeah, maybe, maybe That's, the maybe the aliens will come down, I and think, the aliens will will cure the cancer. Or I think it's maybe they give her up to the aliens so that her cancer will be cured. Ah, uh, and she know? can live. She can live in the stars. She'll live in the stars. And the only reason this doesn't oh come God. up frequently in season one is because Lou realizes no one's going to buy that. So in the sequel, yeah. what we're going to have is she's going to return. She's not going to age it a day. Sure. But her entire family has grown. And so... And it'll be her and Keith Carradine as Lou. Yeah. And then Bruce Campbell as Reagan, who also has an age today. Yeah, because he went into the stars. Returns from space. And he comes back... Yeah. After... Yeah. That's exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be Space Reagan... And uh, <laughs> we're going to get that. We're going to so, get Space Reagan. I will say that I definitely want to touch on what, for me, in these last three episodes, is going to be the biggest potential X factor. And that, to right. me, is now Mike Milligan. because right. Because Mike Milligan is, as I mentioned, in a position where he doesn't really have a base anymore. It seems like his one friend in the world is this remaining kitchen brother. Uh-huh. And the two of them seem to have each other's backs, but he is, as far as I'm aware now, persona non grata with Kansas City. They sent the Undertaker, presumably, to kill him. Now, he's talking about spinning the story that the Gerhards got the Undertaker. Right. But where, does that, where does that leave Mike? I think I think Mike is gonna okay. I think he's going to succeed. I think Mike is going to be the winning. Um, I think the Gerhards are going to get wiped out. I think Kansas City is going to get in control of this, and I think it's going to end with Mike becoming on the track to being the head of the Kansas City Mafia. Yeah, that's my guess because I think he's. 
I think we're kind of rooting for Mike a little bit. There's like an aspect of Mike that you kind of like him. You kind of want him to succeed just a little bit. I, he doesn't come off as a tragic character like yeah. the other ones. He feels like a guy who's come from nothing, is super smart, the smartest guy in the room. And I think he's going to be the one. It's going to end with him at least on the track to becoming like head of the Kansas City Mafia. Because he's going to succeed. All the Gerhards are going to get wiped out. But to do that, he's going to have to roll back up on Hamish, presumably. Uh-huh. And I'm I'm wondering, I feel like you don't cast Adam Arkin to put Adam Arkin in one scene and then never see him again. Well, I would say the same thing about Otto. Fair you enough. Know, fair like, enough. They did cast Michael Hogan to sit in a chair for half the season. Right. That's so. fair. You know, maybe. But, but then it's then it's do we see essentially Mike Milligan taking on Kansas City with one buddy by force? I'm wondering. I feel like he has to. No, I think he's going to win it politically. He's going I to think. have to. He's going to have to find a very clever way to work his way around dealing right. with it head on because it's one guy and his buddy against the entire Kansas City mafia. Right. Well, once he defeats Gerhardt and takes control of the UFO ah, yes. and then brings the alien uh, weapons back to Kansas City. It's a little like Independence Day. Yeah, yeah. I think. And then they'll have control of alien weapons and then they'll be able to succeed that way. And it's, uh, you know. And there is Fargo season three. Right. That uh, FX, we await your call. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely help out. We'll write it. We'll be in it. Whatever you want. We're waiting for your call. <laughs> I am. I'm very excited to see. Seriously, though, in a, all joking aside, aching to see how they resolve this alien yeah. situation. What Hanzi does or does not know. What Hank does or does not know. Whether Mike Milligan and the kitchens are from the stars or not. Yeah. Maybe we'll get a little bit more of that teased out next week. We've got we've got three episodes left this season, and I not think, enough episodes. We want more episodes. Already. I think these remaining three promise to be pretty massive. Yeah, and we're it's be great. I, I think we're going to start seeing characters really have to pay the piper and face the music and yeah. all the other metaphors for having to come to terms with what you've done. The composer, by the way, has said that his favorite. Part hasn't even come yet. Yeah. And it's in the last couple of seasons. They do amazing th- – the last couple of episodes, they do amazing things with music, supposedly. And uh, whatever happens is going to be bloody and it's going to be great. Of course. So. All right. Well, I'm excited. You excited, Dave? I'm excited. <laughs> okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> I want to watch them all now. I'm, I'm sick of waiting a week in between. This is, this, is, this is hurtful. Yeah. It's such a great show. I just want to binge watch it all the way through. Netflix model. Yeah, I know. FX called Netflix just for us, just for me and Dave. Just just for us. Just send us a little. We'll send your subscription information, yeah. and you can just tell us where to go and watch them. Yeah, tell us what to expect. Yeah, <laughs> it's just spoil the whole thing for us right now. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah, tell yeah, us yeah. the answers. Absolutely, tell us all the answers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Don't do that. We actually like watching it. This is a fantastic show. I'm really amazing. excited to see these last three episodes. And now we're going to be coming back every week, one episode a week till the yes. end of the season. Taking our time. It's going to be really, 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 really great. Join us. Yes. Join us next week. And that is that is going to do it for us this week on the Fargo Season 2 After Show. Mr. Dave Child, where can people find you on the internet? At Mr. Dave Child and DaveChild.com. Yes, and I am all over all the things that people talk to each other online on. My handle on all of them is at the Lex Michael. If you haven't done so already... Find us, uh, like, subscribe, rate five stars, tell everybody yeah. how much you love us, because we love you so very, very, very much. Love us like we love you. <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in. We will see you next week. Thanks.
from executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff. We would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later! The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.